be here and good to be able to share with you this morning. And uh, happy Easter Sunday, happy Resurrection Day. And it's so good, isn't it, to be here. When um, I heard that um, Tom was going to read from Luke 24 this morning, I went, this is God, this is the Holy Spirit on this, because I hadn't told Tom that I'm teaching from Luke 24 this morning. So this life group is on it. <laughs> we're on it. <laughs> Cutting edge, that's it. All right, so we're going to look at Luke 24, um, 1 through 35 today. And uh, what I'll be doing is actually going through this passage and commenting on it and talking about it as we go through it. So rather than read it as one big chunk and then talk about it, I'm actually going to work through it together. So I haven't got it on the screen because it's quite a lot of verses. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got a, a, a smartphone or something, if you could look up Luke 24. And uh, the Holy Spirit definitely put this on my heart. I wasn't expecting to speak. I'd, in fact, I'd said no to die. And uh, my father said to me, yes, you are. I went, Okay. And then I said, what? And he said, Luke 24. I went, wow, I didn't even know what that was. I looked it up and it was resurrection chapter. So it was pretty much God was on this saying, this is what you need to do. So um, to start, once you've found that passage, what I'd like us to do first is to do a little exercise um, similar to what Karen did of, of imagining, imagining something together. I want you to join with me and just closing your eyes and imagine for a moment that you're walking on a dusty gravel road, you and a close friend. People are around you, there's some passing you, some walking behind you, some walking in front of you. It's, it's a warm day. You can feel the warm wind. You can hear the, the wind blowing in the grass as you're walking along that gravel road. But you're feeling a bit down. You're feeling a bit discouraged, a bit heavy, a bit sad about your situation. And as you're walking along with this friend of yours and you're just walking along and you can hear the gravel crunching on your feet as you walk along that pathway out in the countryside, a friendly person comes up beside you and, and he asks you, how are you? And why are you sad? And you, you explain to him, you tell him what's going on, you tell him about your situation. And then he offers you some, some hope, he tells you, and he, he just gives you a different perspective on your situation as he talks with you. And as you're walking along together, he says to you, your past doesn't have to dictate to your future. And as you listen to him telling you about these things, inside you, your emotions begin to rise and you sense this new feeling of excitement that begins to fill you. So instead of this discouragement, this new sense of hope and excitement rises deep within your heart. So you can open your eyes now. Thank you for that little exercise with me. I just wanted to start off this morning by just imagining what it's like to walk down a dusty road out in the countryside because today the chapter that we're going to be reading together talks about two different groups of people who did that. They walked down a dusty road together for a particular reason and we're going to be talking about that as we read through um, Luke 24. And so as we do that I want you to invite you to think about how your mind that is your thinking organ in your head, how your mind processes, thinks about the past, thinks about the present, and about your own thoughts. And that the fact that the way that we think affects our belief in Jesus Christ, in spiritual things, about him as being king, and it also impacts on whether your faith holds on to the reality of the kingdom of God being real today. So let's have a look at Luke 24. And we're going to go through this together. 
So this story is pretty similar to what we've just experienced in that imagination exercise we did. It's about two groups. It's about some sadness. It's about Jesus' uh, death and about the fact that he was their dear friend that had died and that he was their leader. But they were encountering, encountering and experiencing something new and very different to what their past experience and trauma had led them to believe. So let's have a look at it. Let's start at Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The interesting thing about those few verses is that the women were walking down the road to go to the tomb to embalm Jesus because he had been laid at the tomb just before uh, Sabbath. So they couldn't actually do it because it was a Sabbath. So they're taking the spices to go down and to embalm him. And they encountered the fact that he wasn't in the tomb and they encountered these two men who were obviously angels who were shining with bright clothing and they were suddenly just amazed and bowed down because they obviously realized there was awesome people that they were encountering. But when the men spoke to them, they said, why are you doing this? Don't you remember that he said he would rise? So the fact is that they'd forgotten. Their minds had been blanked out to the fact that he had said to them, I will die, but I'll also rise again. And they had been through a trauma. They had been through a horrendous experience of seeing their king, their leader, crucified and murdered by the Romans. They had been traumatized by what had happened. So mentally, they had been hugely impacted by that terrible experience. And so they'd forgotten the fact that he'd said to them, I'm going to rise again. So when they encountered the angels, they weren't expecting that he was going to tell them, Jesus has risen again, because they were so traumatized by what they'd experienced. And that often happens in humans. We get traumatized by things and we don't remember stuff because of that trauma. Crucifixion was brutal, it was violent, and it was traumatic. And they were still in shock. Let's read on, verse, uh, verse 8. It says, Then they remembered his words. Those angels spoke something into their lives, and their minds were brought back to life, and they remembered that Jesus had said, I will come back to life. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Now, I want to say to you ladies, well done, fantastic. Guess what? It was the ladies who first went to the tomb. It was the ladies who first encountered the angels. It was the ladies who first believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They encountered these angels, and the angels said, Remember, Jesus said this to you, and they did. Something shifted in their minds. Something shifted in their traumatic state, in their traumatized state, and they accepted what these angels said, and they remembered that Jesus had said, I will rise again. And they went straight back to the apostles and said, we've just seen the angels, we've just seen the empty tomb, and he is alive. They were the first ones to believe. And it's amazing, I think, that often the women in our world are the first to believe and accept the fact that what Jesus says is true, is true. And it's no mistake, I think, and no 
um, coincidence that there's a larger number of women in the churches in the world than there are men. Because there's something in women that believes and accepts what is told to them and they, they believe it. And something happens to their hearts. But let's read on. In verse 11, the second part says, and this is referring to the apostles, it says, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Right? They did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, aha, here's the change. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. So he runs down this gravel road, gets to the tomb, the stones rolled away, which is another point on its own, looked in, strips of clothes on the, on the ground, no body, and then bending over, he saw the strips of clothes of linen lying there, and he went away wondering to himself what happened. He didn't jump up and down going, yippee, Jesus is alive. He goes, wow, what happened? Wow. Now, the stone had been rolled away. That's impossible for one person to do that. It had to have been a group of people because they were so heavy. There's strips of cloth on the ground. Obviously, the body's not there. There's just strips. And he's still wondering. He doesn't think, oh, Jesus must be alive. He goes, oh, I wonder what happened. He didn't get it. He didn't see it. He didn't understand it. He was still so traumatized, so affected by what had happened, he was not able to believe that Jesus really was alive. And it's really interesting, isn't it, that we can go, that he went through those, that experience so that he was so traumatized that he was unable to believe. He couldn't accept it. And I think that's true for us today, that often people find it hard to accept that Jesus really is alive, that he is the risen Christ, because it doesn't make sense. Often the logical or the illogical seems nonsense, and it seems like, what? How could somebody rise from the dead? How could somebody who's crucified, brutalized, buried in the grave, come back to life again? Our logical, rational brain often can find it very hard to accept the fact that Jesus Christ has actually risen from the dead. And many people find it hard to come to faith and believe in Jesus Christ because their logical brain finds it really hard to engage with the fact that this is true. And it stops them from believing. So when Peter went away wondering, as he had a proof, he wanted to see that it actually happened. And he went down to the tomb. He saw the linen strips. He saw that the gravestone was rolled away. He saw there was no body there. And yet he still wanted proof and still didn't believe. Something else needed to happen. So even with the empty grave, he was still wondering what happened. And he didn't recall the words that Jesus said, on the third day I will rise again. Now, before I move on to the next section of this chapter, I want to look at three things about human experience and about belief. So there are three things that I believe that, blink, blink, sorry, that, that hinder us from belief. First of all, there's emotional pain, our emotions. They can block us from accepting the truth. So these people who, who encountered the empty tomb had been through trauma. They'd been through something that really affected their thinking and their minds. And it blocked them from accepting the truth. So let me give you an example. So somebody meets another a person and the person says to them, I love you. But they can't accept that that person is saying is true because they've been hurt by that person. So if somebody says to you, I love you, but you've been wounded and hurt by them, that emotional pain that you, you've experienced stops you from believing what they say. So if somebody says, I love you, but they've also hurt you, there's this wall there. Have you experienced that? And somebody said that something to you and you've gone, 
no, I don't accept that because of what you've done to me. Emotional pain can stop us from believing the truth. Second thing, experiences. Experiences can cause us to hold false beliefs or to hang on to a lie and not even realize that we can think a lie is true. So for example, all people from Queensland are mean, right? Because I had a bad experience of a Queenslander once. Now I can say that because I was born in Queensland, right? It's all right, don't panic if you're from Queensland. Sometimes we might think that this particular group is all bad because I've had an encounter with one person and that went terribly. And so therefore everything's bad about those people from that group. And so we've had an experience of that particular thing and so it means everything's that, that same way. And so our experience leads us to believe something. And the fact is that all Queenslanders are not bad, right? This lady back here who is from Queensland is obviously not bad. Okay, that's not true, but it can lead us to believe something because of the experience that we've had. And so the experience that these, these people had had, the disciples and the, and the women going to the empty tomb, they'd experienced something terrible. And so their understanding was, it's all over. It's all finished. It's no good. So the first thing is emotional pain can stop us from believing. Experiences, negative experiences can stop us from believing. And the third thing is expectations. They can cause us to focus on the incorrect outcome. So we might have a particular expectation. So our mindset is going this way. This is what we think. And we can't accept that it might be going this way because our mind is focused on this particular thing or this outcome. So for example, I work hard because God expects me to and he will reward me. So I might have a mindset that if I work hard and do my part, I will prosper and, and do really well. But suddenly the world falls apart, business falls over, things don't go well and you end up not doing very well and not prospering. And you go, what? That wasn't supposed to happen to me. Things have gone bad. That God must be bad, not a good God after all. So our expectations might head us one way and another experience comes and we think, oh, I can't believe in God anymore because I had a bad thing happen. And expectations can make us believe the wrong thing. So our minds hold on to certain emotions, experiences, and expectations, or perceptions is another way of saying it. And they can create a difficulty for us in believing what is said do in this world and in our families. So I had a friend uh, years ago who was in a, um, my apprentice master and he was, when I was a young man, I was doing an apprenticeship as a carpenter and he um, was a builder and he made a lot of money. He had several million dollars that he made out of his business and he felt that God said to him, I want you to go and be a missionary in the Solomon Islands. And he said, no, I don't think I'll do that. I'll keep building, I'll keep working, I'll save up more money and then I'll go. So he kept working, doing his building business and he lost a lot, lost all of it. The whole thing went down the tube, lost all the money. Then God said, now I want you to go to the Solomon Islands. And he goes, right, okay. So he went to the Solomon Islands and he worked there for years and years doing building and mission work and God provided all that he needed and all that he um, had trusted God for was provided through that experience. And he learned to trust God and believe God's word through that experience. But prior to that, he didn't have that belief. He didn't think that would happen because his previous experience was, no, I have to work hard to make this happen. But God worked through that to bring him to a point where he, his, his experience changed his belief. Let's go back to reading this next passage. We're going to look at a different group now. So we've looked at the women walking down the path to the grave. And now we're going to look at, at the men. So there were two men. So look, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Now when it says two of them, it means disciples. 
which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Recognizing him. He asked them, oh, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does, does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who was, said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what he was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I wonder, have you ever read that passage and gone, I wonder what Jesus said? What did he teach as they were walking down the road together? It must have been amazing to have been taught by Jesus as they were walking down the path. So, I'm going to do a little overview today of what I think he might have taught them as they walked down. Now, if, if I did a full exegesis on the Old Testament, this would be here for about six weeks, all right? But we're not doing that. So, I've picked a couple of verses out from the writings of Moses one from the prophets and one from the Psalms, just as a quick overview of what he might have taught them that day. So let's have a look at that. Do we have a slide on it? Cool. All right, so the first one is, let's have a look at Moses, some of the things that Moses said and what Jesus would have taught them from this. So potentially he might have started at Genesis 22. That is, when, Mo when Abraham was asked by God to take his son up to Mount Horeb and to sacrifice him, he was stopped by an angel of the Lord, which is probably the vision of Jesus, saying, don't kill your son. Here's a ram that's caught in the thicket. Sacrifice the ram instead. And because Abraham obeyed and did that, God said, I will bless all the nations of the whole world. So not just Israel, I will bless all the world. So that's an image of the crucifixion of Christ, the Lamb of God being crucified for all of us. Right? So that's number one. So we could do a whole week series on that teaching but I'm not doing it okay okay next one Exodus 2 7 and 13 God says to Israel and through Moses slaughter a lamb and put the blood on the door on the doorposts so they kill a little lamb each family that's a part of Israel they take the blood they put it on the sides of the doorposts and on the top and if you think about that that forms a cross right that is on each home if they're inside the house when the angel of death goes over or passes over they are saved so the blood sacrifice of that lamb was taken in place of the people in the house and they were saved and were not killed that's illustration number two of jesus and his death number three numbers 21 8 and 9 a bronze serpent on a pole anyone who looks at the bronze serpent is saved so what was happening was they were being bitten by snakes. This was Israel out in the desert trying to get to live in Canaan. And they were bitten by all these snakes and dying. And they said, save us. And so God says to Moses, okay, make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole, put it up. And if people, people look at it, they will be saved. So the same thing with Jesus. When he was crucified, he was put on a pole, lifted up. And if you looked at the, at the Savior on the cross, you are saved. 
This is the same concept, right? That the snake is the thing that was biting them. They look at the snake that's on the bronze pole, they are saved. The thing that harms us is our sinful self, our sinful human nature. If we look at Christ who's the human on the cross, we are saved. So this is another illustration of the work of God through the cross. And then lastly, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. I will raise up a prophet like you and put my words in his mouth. So this is a direct word by God through Moses that, that there would be another person coming like Moses who would have the very words of God to speak into our lives and that is Jesus. Okay, moving on to the prophets. Let's just take one. This is Isaiah 53 verses 3 and 7. If you look at all of Isaiah 53, there's so much in that chapter about the death and the suffering of the Lamb of God. But he suffered and sacrificed like a lamb to the slaughter and was um, killed like a little lamb and he suffered and died. And so this talks about the fact that Jesus was crucified just like a lamb and he needed to, to do that to take away the sins of the world. And if you look at all of the Old Testament writings like in Leviticus, for example, there's so much in there about the fact that a lamb has to be um, killed and there's bloodshed and sacrificed to give access to God. The only way we can have access to God to have a relationship with him is through a blood sacrifice. That thing dies so that we don't have to die so we can access God. And that's the illustration of what Jesus would do. Two more, Psalms 2.7 and Psalm 16.10. So Psalm 2 verse 7, it says, You are my son and today I've become your father. So this talks about the fact that Jesus came as a human being into the world as the son of God. God himself becomes the father of, so in the old version it says begotten, which means born of God, so that he actually becomes a human being, so that he could be sacrificed on our behalf. And then Psalm 16.10 says, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor your Holy One would see decay. So that talks about the fact that Jesus would be crucified, but he's not going to stay in the grave, he's going to come back to life. He's not going to be decayed like we all will be when we go into the, into the grave, when we die, we'll decay. He did not. He came back to life. So these are some of the verses that we can see that Jesus may have used as he walked down the road with those two guys going to Emmaus, explaining to them from the Old Testament the fact that, that the, the Messiah, the Christ, would have to come as a, as a man, as a child, would have to be sacrificed, would have to be on a cross so that people would look up to him for salvation, would have to go into the grave, but would not stay there and, but would rise again three days later, would not see decay. So I, I know that there are so many more scriptures to, than that that we could look at, but that gives you a little bit of an overview of what Jesus may have said to them. But you know what's stunning? They still didn't get it. They still didn't see him. They still didn't realize that this was Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. They didn't understand. So he explained all of these, these things to him, to them. He explained the prophecies. Uh, about the Messiah coming, but they still didn't get it. They didn't recognize him. And you think, why? For goodness sake, why didn't they get it? You think, if I was walking down the road with Jesus Christ and he's explaining the Old Testament to me, I would get it. Well, actually, no, I probably wouldn't get it. <laughs> you know why? Because there have been so many things in my life that I didn't get. For years and years, I really felt condemned, even... Raised, being raised in a Christian family, there was a whole period in my life where I felt condemned. I wasn't good enough. And even though Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, for many years I struggled with feeling condemned that I wasn't good enough. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ 
by his grace, revealed to me that everything that he'd done on the cross for me had removed all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my shame, every barrier to me accessing and knowing God personally, that I was then able to see that. I didn't see it beforehand. I felt condemned. See, my emotions making me feel condemned. Sometimes our emotions can stop us from believing and from seeing. And it takes a miracle work of God to change us so that we can actually see it and understand it and get it. Okay, let's read the last couple of verses, verses 28 through 35. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while they talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and, I'll put my word in here, ran (laughs) back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then those two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Why is that important? Why did Luke state that twice? So in verse 32 it says, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? But in verse 31 it says, He took bread, broke it and gave it to them and then their eyes were opened. And in verse 36, 35, Jesus would recognize them by them when he broke the bread. So Luke is saying there's something significant about that. What is it? What's so significant? This was an aha moment. This was the light went on. This was they suddenly got it. This was they saw it. They realized. But there was something that happened to them, wasn't it? It wasn't the explanation of the scriptures. It wasn't Jesus going through the Old Testament where their lights went on. It was the encounter that they had in the room around a meal table when Jesus broke the bread and prayed that the lights went on. Why? Why? What was happening? Or rather, what had happened? I want to take you back to Luke 22. In Luke 22, Jesus and the disciples are sitting around a table together before he dies. And they're having a meal together. And what does Jesus do? He takes the bread or the symbol of the, of the lamb and he takes the, the cup, the symbol of the Passover, and he prays over it and he says, I will not eat again until it, that is the Passover, finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That's what happened. They suddenly saw it. They saw the fact that this was Jesus who had said, it will happen. The Passover will be fulfilled. So all of the centuries they'd been having Passover every year for hundreds and hundreds of years, celebrating the fact that this blood had been shed of the lamb and the doorposts had been painted and they'd escaped and God led them to Israel and they'd been having that Passover, expecting the Messiah to come. But what they didn't realize was the Messiah would come and be the sacrifice himself. They thought the Messiah would come and deliver them from the Romans. They thought the Messiah would come and would deliver them so that they'd become the great king of it, kingdom of Israel. 
They thought that he would come as the great awesome king and they'd be this great nation again, ruling the world like it had been with David and Solomon. They, their expectations had been that Jesus was going to be this awesome, great physical ruler and lead them out of captivity from the Romans and make them free people and rule again. But that wasn't what he was on about. That's why when they were walking down the road, they couldn't see it. They didn't get it when they were walking down the road because they thought he was going to be the saviour that would deliver them from the Romans. He had a whole different agenda. His agenda was to be the Passover lamb. His agenda was to be the Messiah who delivered them from sin, from death, from destruction, and to give them access to the Father by his death on the cross. God's purpose in what Jesus did was to give every person, every single one of us, direct access to the Father through what he did on the cross. And they didn't get it because their emotions were so traumatized, because their experience had been that Jesus was dead and that was it, the end of what they were hoping for, and their expectations were that he was going to be the one that would deliver them from the Romans. They got it all wrong. But suddenly the lights went on because they realized it's not about them it's not about that kingdom it's about the new kingdom coming the kingdom of God coming which is the presence of God in our lives and us each having direct access to the father and they got it they understood it they finally realized that I now have seen the one who was dead and has been raised again I have seen the one who died and and broke the bread and said this is my body given for you this is my blood given for you. Why? So that you can have direct access to God. There never needs to be another sacrifice. There never needs to be another lamb killed. There never needs to be another bull. There never needs to be another sacrifice because I did it for you. This is me. And the power of Christ's resurrection proved that he was God and the only one who could do it. So the fact that he was alive and breaking bread said to them, I actually have the authority and power over all of those things and have fulfilled all of the scriptures that I just taught you as we walked down the road. Because I'm alive. I'm not dead anymore. And pow! Their brains just went off of the fireworks. They were suddenly just, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It really is true that he is the Messiah risen from the dead. New life, new kingdom of God has arrived. It's right here and right now. So the kingdom rushed in at that moment in a way that they hadn't realized. They were expecting a different kingdom. Jesus said, no, I've come to bring the kingdom of God and it's here and it's right now because of what I've done. They were ecstatic with joy. No wonder they said, he is alive. He is risen from the dead. And that their hearts burned within them, which was their excitement. So let's wrap this up. So looking at our own lives right now, looking at that pathway, think about that path that you were on at the beginning, walking down that path of life. What is it that keeps you from seeing Jesus Christ as the reigning king and from the kingdom of God advancing in your life? Is there anything that keeps you from knowing him? Is there any emotional pain or is there any negative or worldly experience or other ex- expectations in your life about what, the, what God should be doing for you that perhaps haven't been met, that's affecting your ability to see Jesus Christ as the living God 
relevant and real for you today. Because he is alive. But for each of us, there can be things that can keep us from knowing the power of God, the power of the resurrection of Christ in our lives, each and every moment. Whatever part of the journey you're on. Maybe you haven't ever experienced Christ yet. Maybe you've experienced him a few years ago. Or maybe you've been walking with Christ for many, many years like I have. 50 years I've been walking with Christ. And yet there are still things that that can hinder us from knowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because we have certain expectations of what God should be doing for us, of what the kingdom of God is, or there's been emotional experiences, or there have been certain things we've gone through in our lives that can have an effect upon us really encountering Christ in an ever and deeper way. And I believe that today that what he wants to do is to, again, invite you into seeing him as the risen Christ, encountering him afresh, and engaging with him as the risen king, the one whose kingdom is present and now. The wonderful, beautiful thing is that for each and every one of you, God invites you into a personal, intimate relationship with him every moment of every day. That's why Jesus came. The gift of God to us is the the presence of Jesus in our world, his death on the cross and his raising, being raised from the dead so that you can have direct access to God the Father. That's why he did it. God did that because he wants you to have direct access every moment of every day to him personally, intimately, beautifully, learning to grow deeper and more intimately and acquainted with him as your heavenly father. Jesus didn't come just so that you could know him and learn from him. He came so that you would know the Father, know the beauty, know the closeness, know the delight of his love and warmth and arms and comfort and encouragement in your life. That's why Jesus did all of that. That's why we can rejoice and he's alive because he gives you that open invitation into the arms of the Father to know him more and to be enjoyed by him. I'm going to ask you to, win, to stand and to let's just take a few moments just to wait on the Lord and to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to engage with you. Would you please stand and let's pray together and invite the Holy Spirit.